Thank you. Please be, please be seated. Uh, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Uh, we're in a study of the book of Colossians. We were going through it uh, rather rapidly, but slowing down on a couple particular points that have reference to our worship and why we do what we do, what we are doing. Sometimes you may wonder, what are we doing? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, and that question often comes up with what we sing as we'll be considering what are we singing and why and how are we to understand these things and how is this to affect us? Uh, there are actually more questions than I'll be able to answer today. I'm going to give you more of the introduction to the Psalms in uh, the words here of our passage, but we'll consider some more of the technical details and um, some, of the, some more application next week. So here we are in Colossians chapter 3. I'll begin reading for you in uh, verse 14. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks this evening and pray that this word of Christ would have its effect richly dwelling in us, that it might teach us wisdom, it might admonish us in the way that we ought to go, and that we would have grace in our hearts, even as we learn to sing your praise for Christ's sake. Amen. The Bible, of course, has a great many different kinds of writing in it, all of which are inspired by God and therefore profitable as the scripture itself testifies. We have historical books, for example, that are like dramas unfolding God's character and purposes in the world and human lives. Uh, They show us how God has related to his people and how his people have walked with him to give us help and direction for the future. The prophets record the word of the Lord as brought to bear in various times and situations, sometimes threatening, sometimes promising, always revealing God's character and calling and speaking of the sufferings and glories of Christ. The Gospels, for their part, reveal the story of Jesus and indeed the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as God becomes man, man to deliver, fulfilling every promise and winning our salvation. We also have letters, of course, written to the churches who struggle with the very same issues, it seems, that we have today, providing a wealth of truth and practical instruction of how we are to live as the people of Christ and in the light of his return. But the book of Psalms is different, writes one author. It alone is composed as a collection of songs from men to God. Not God to men, but men to God. They are no less God's inspired word, but all of the Bible's books, excuse me, um, but rather of all the Bible's books, he says, in the Psalms, we receive an exceptional gift designed to become our words to God. He adds, the book of Psalms is unique. 
It is a hymnal. It is the only book of the Bible with God as the audience and God's people as the appointed speakers. This is an important feature of the Psalms with significance for how we should use them in the church today, he writes. The Psalms are words for God's people to sing to him. This does not mean that the Psalms are any less God's word to us than other books of the Bible. Like the rest of Scripture, the Psalms are fully God's word to us, but unlike the rest of Scripture, the Psalms are further designed to become our words to sing back to him. Well, this is one of the things that surely strike people immediately in visiting Redeemer is that um, so many Psalms are sung. It's at least very different from uh, various evangelical or non-denominational churches. Uh, For their part, Anglican and Roman Catholic services always have a psalm typically chanted. In fact, if somebody were to visit from the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, they might wonder why we sing so few psalms here. Well, they sing Psalm 103 and Psalm 146 every Sunday, uh, along with portions of other psalms, and in the daily office, that is to say in the regular reading that happens both in churches and at monasteries, they uh, sing through the entire book of psalms every week. Is it all just a matter of preference, then, uh, that some people like the psalms and some people like Hillsong? Or is it a matter of tradition? You know, some churches emphasize the great hymns of the faith and others emphasize contemporary songs. And maybe we emphasize the biblical book of Psalms for the same reason. reason. Well, I don't want you to think that this is merely a matter of preference, although as far as preferences go, you can't find anything better than songs inspired by the Holy Spirit. Or that this is just a tradition, although singing of psalms does have a very long history in the church and has a wonderful heritage, which I'll describe more next week. But the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, by which we teach and admonish one another, that is not merely a preference, though it's a good one, or traditional, though it's a fine tradition. It is, in fact, more importantly, both biblical and powerful. And that'll be the emphasis of the sermon today. I will have to split the topic up into two parts, so next week we'll consider specifically what are these words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. I mean, are these the, are these the psalms? Well, everybody thinks so. Uh, what about the other word, hymns? Is that these things? And what about uh, spiritual songs? Is that uh, swing low uh, spirituals? Is that what we're talking about? That's what we mean in contemporary language, when we speak about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, um, or what, would, what would be the original meaning of those words? We'll have to consider that more next week. I'll simply uh, say at this point, I'll just ha- ask you to grant to me that at least psalms is speaking about the singing of psalms as the word of Christ. And in any case, there is a biblical mandate to sing these as the word of Christ, first point, as they dwell in us richly with all wisdom, second point, through which we are taught to teach and admonish one another, the third and the fourth points of our sermon today, all from the words of verse 16. So first, what are we supposed to be having uh, as our song, dwelling in us richly? It is the first words we we are struck with here, the word of Christ the word of Christ. You might have expected to say, let the word of God 
dwell in you richly, teaching one another in psalms and so forth. But it is the word of Christ that we are to have dwelling in us. There was a saying in the ancient church, I'll give it to you in Latin afterward if you care about that, any Latin students here, but uh, always a psalm in the mouth, always Christ in the heart. Always a psalm in the mouth, always Christ in the heart. Uh, the, the psalms uh, here are described as the word of Christ. And surely, yes, sometimes they are literally the words that proceeded out of his mouth. As you'll know, the Lord himself quoted the book of Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. Sometimes these are the words about Christ, right? An objective genitive, as the New Testament authors, for their part, quoted the book of Psalms about Jesus more than any other book. Always, they are the inspired words of the Spirit of Christ, given to us for our use, as Peter put it in his first letter, speaking more generally of the prophets who spoke to you of the grace that was to come, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So uh, these uh, prophetic psalms also are the words of the Spirit of Christ. Well, as a practical illustration of their importance and their, their use in this way, when Peter stands up to preach in, on Pentecost and give that very justly famous sermon about Jesus, What does he do but lets loose a string of psalm quotations and references, Psalm 16, Psalm 89, Psalm 110, Psalm 132, also quotes Joel chapter 2, but uh, the psalms were the basis of his testimony about Jesus, Joel about the Holy Spirit. Well, consider that Paul quotes the book of Psalms ten times more than he quotes Jesus. Well, no wonder, because in the Psalms, we sing about Christ's deity, humanity, birth, life, righteousness, mercy, grace, love for God's law, crucifixion, atoning death. We sing of his resurrection, ascension, and exaltation, kingdom, and present reign at God's right hand, even in the midst of all his enemies, and his glorious return. We are taught of his various offices as prophet, priest, and king, judge, shepherd, and servant, many, many other facets of his person and work as the New Testament authors themselves make the connection. So it's kind of like the book of Psalms uh, is the bridge that holds together the whole Bible, making these connections from from the most ancient of times through the uh, end of days in the days of the Messiah. Augustine asked the question, what is there that may not be learned in the Psalter? He said, the voice of Christ and his church was nearly the only voice to be heard in the Psalms. And in another place he writes, everywhere diffused throughout the Psalms is that man whose head is above and whose members are below. We ought to recognize his voice in all the Psalms. More than I could tell you uh, tonight about the king who was appointed as the worship leader for his people, singing psalms, leading them in 
confession at times or in praise in other times. Uh, these are the psalms of our worship leader, King Jesus. Consider also the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews that gives this great, beautiful overview of the person and work of Christ, which you might not have noticed if you look down at the bottom of your page or in the footnotes of your margin, is that nearly every quotation taken from that uh, first chapter is from the psalms. He quotes Psalm 2, that Jesus is the Son of God and the heir of all, and Psalm 97, that he is worshipped by angels, and Psalm 89, that he is God's firstborn, and Psalm 45, he is God and the everlasting King himself, Psalm 102, Jesus is Jehovah, the eternal creator and sustainer of the worlds, and that Psalm 110 says that he is the Lord's champion over all his enemies, all that just in chapter 1, all those quotations just in chapter 1, goes on. Uh, to speak about how Jesus is the Son of Man with all things under his feet from Psalm 8, that Jesus himself calls us his brethren, Psalm 22, that he is a royal priest according to the order of Melchizedek, 110 again, Psalm 40, that Jesus is the end of sacrifice and offering, saying, behold, I come in the volume of the book, it's written of me, to do your will, O God, and so forth. I'll skip to the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? So Jesus often took the Psalms to his lips, not only to describe himself and who he is, but as his own praises. Well, just just think, children, just think about Jesus growing up. What was he singing? He was singing the same things that you were singing. Can you imagine Jesus singing my God, my God, oh, why have you forsaken me? Uh, singing about himself, the stone, the builders, the rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Singing, my close friend in whom I trusted has lifted up his heel against me. I, I, I just, I, we just don't know how much the, uh, to his human mind, all the future was going to be revealed. But uh, the book of Psalms gives a very, very powerful witness in the mouth of Christ himself of uh, his own person and work. Jesus revealed himself to others with these same psalms. He identified himself as David's son and David's Lord as Psalm 110. Well, I got more references here, but I think you get the point. The word of Christ. Um, We we read of him uh, on the cross, uh, pierced with vinegar to drink, with people gambling for his clothes, uh, saying, uh, Matthew just uses the words of Psalm 22 and puts it in the mouths of the people. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. We read of the Lord healing our diseases and forgiving our transgressions on and on. All right, you say, I get the point. The Psalms sure teach us about Jesus, but you know, the Gospels also teach us about Jesus. And they say things about Jesus even more clearly and plainly. So what do the Psalms give us that the Gospels don't? Answer, praises. Praises. What a gift. So therefore, Paul says, point two, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, singing, Listen to this comment from the Genevan reformer in his preface to the Psalter. In truth, we know from experience that song 
has a great force and vigor to arouse and inflame the hearts of men, to invoke and praise God with a more vehement and ardent zeal. In short, he writes, there is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God, or in which we are more powerfully stirred up to the performance of worship. That's what the book of Psalms particularly gives us. Yes, they are given to teach us the life of Jesus in so many ways as they are fulfilled, but even more, the praise of Jesus. So that sometimes we sing with the king about God and his ways. Sometimes we even sing to the king. Sometimes he even sings to us in the book of Psalms. Often we find ourselves singing to each other, as we did in Psalm 1, for instance, in in his presence. And uh, by the way, there's something else that you don't get from the Psalms, uh, that, that you get from the Psalms, rather, that you don't get from the Gospels. In the Psalms, we also get to hear the inner heart and thoughts of the Messiah, where we find his tears, his prayers, these uh, prayers that he offered up with many tears. We read about the book of Hebrews. Uh, the, these songs are a personal and accurate revelation of Christ. David himself, the author of so many, prefiguring the Christ and himself enduring through his life so many of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, one of these days, I'll, I hope to preach a sermon series on David and, and especially to show you all these remarkable things that happened to him, which have their f- fulfillment in, in Christ. I mean, he may not have understood, just as Joseph may not understand, why are all these things happening to me, uh, except that uh, the, these great men are the antitypes of Christ. Well, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, we read in 1 Corinthians 2. Apart from inspiration, we can only guess or presume or speculate about the Lord's thoughts and yet uh, these give us his cries, his tears, his uh, praises, his inner life. Often we sing about uh, God and his ways, as I say, and so uh, in many times uh, the Lord is leading us in worship, but in nearly every psalm we find that there is this unbroken connection between the head and the body through the ages. In fact, I've mentioned this many times, but, but often as we're singing, the, you have this blending and you, you sing something and you're like, well, that could only be fulfilled in Christ. And then you're singing the same psalm a little later and you say, well, that could only be fulfilled in David. And then you read a little, you're singing a little later and it's like, well, that's, that's for me, the hearer. And you, you start to think, well, well, who are these psalms about? Is this about Jesus or is this about David in his life? Or is this about me in my life? Well, exactly. Uh, the horizons are intended to blend because as David was raised up for this very purpose as a man after God's own heart to be the, uh, the, the king through which uh, the Messiah was to come and to uh, prefigure him in so many ways, he partakes of the sufferings and glories of Christ and we share in the sufferings of Christ and, and, and that Jesus himself uh, is the one who ultimately is in all these psalms. And so... It's intentionally unclear uh, because we, we are taking up our cross and following him daily as, as David did, as Jesus himself did. And, and so as we cry, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? David is crying with us. If you like, you can imagine him 
crying the same thing next to you as, as the rebellion is, is pressing upon him and as he is cast out of the city and abandoned uh, apparently by the mercy of God and as Jesus is there on the cross in the darkness of the day and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to win our salvation? Uh, we, we have this same experience and, and so it blends. And so the Psalms give us wisdom to see that our individual problems and crises and challenges are not merely ours. That in all these things, we are truly the followers of the King of Kings. What happens to us, joys and sorrows, faithful friends and betrayers, everything is part of this union with Christ and his body. Every part of our lives is related to him in our experience and his experience. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the Psalms are the libretto of the opera of Jesus' life, or of David's life, or of anyone else who follows the Lord. You know, you know what libretto is in an opera? It's uh, the, the words... Um, sorry, what? The lyrics, thank you, is what I'm looking for. Uh, so it's the soundtrack, modern people, okay, that the Psalms are the soundtrack of the life of Jesus and of his body. That's why they are also so practical. We think sometimes, does anyone understand me? We say, why are you so cast down, O my soul? We learn to sing these things and we recognize our struggles are not ours alone. And you know, what we learn to sing has a remarkable power in our mind and in our soul. Music, says Luther, is a fair and lovely gift from God. Next to the word of God, the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. Um, you probably experienced this yourself with songs that you learned in your youth. You probably still have all the words at recall, for better or for worse, right? You know, all the lyrics to uh, Madonna's Like a Virgin. Why, why, why? I wish I could get rid of that, right? Uh, well, how, how, how do they even make it in there? I don't know. Somehow these songs that we learn, they stick in your mind. You go and you worship people with, worship with people in the nursing homes. And there's little doubt the part of the service they enjoy the most, right? You've got to keep the preaching down to about five minutes. But the singing, well, that could go on all day. And if they've lost their mind on other things, they still know all verses of Amazing Grace and so forth, right? They know all verses by heart. And what a great comfort and joy it is when all else fails, that they have the truths hidden in their heart, the truth that appears all the more beautiful to us, rich to us when it sings. Uh, in Paul's words, what a blessing it is, especially when the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Uh, the Psalms are rich in this way. Thirdly, he says that they are for teaching. Teaching. When we uh, sing hymns, sometimes we feel a tension. Um, I don't know if I would say that. I don't know if I actually believe that. In fact, if you look at the bottom of our Trinity hymnal, you'll note the word alt several times there, that they've had to change some of the words of the song because the theological editors thought, mm, 
I haven't maybe said the right thing or in the right way. We must change the words. Something very different happens when we sing the, the Psalms. It isn't the words that have to change. We have to change. The words have to change us. Now, that's true throughout the scriptures, of course, but other books tell us primarily what to think and what to do. The Psalms are different in that they are specifically targeted at our hearts to tell us how to feel, to change our hearts and to change us through them. Now, there is a tremendous amount of theology in the Psalms, massive theology, but it's all theology in context. It doesn't... uh, say uh, God is good, it says my God is good. It says my beloved God is good. It says praise the Lord for he is good. His mercies to us are everlasting. Now that's what the truth ought to do in your heart, you see. One of the earliest writings of the church is called the Apostolic Constitutions, a part attributed to Clement of Rome, uh, lived in the first century, knew the apostles. Uh, He writes, quote, The women, the children, and the humblest laborers could repeat all the Psalms of David. was the standard hymn book of the church. They chanted them at home and abroad. They made them the exercises of their piety and the refreshment of their minds. Thus they had answers ready to oppose temptation and were always prepared to pray to God and to praise him in any circumstance in a form of his own composing. And so in the directory, Clement tells the people, assemble yourselves together every day, morning and evening, singing psalms. So, uh, you know, part of what we do here in prayer is is, uh, in a form of the Lord's own composing, as it were, putting these requests back to him. We consider that in a previous study. Here also, these uh, words, in in a manner of God's own composing, we are praising him with. In the psalms, indeed, God has taken some of the greatest saints of all time, and recorded their inner life for us. David, a remarkable man of God, um, God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. You think, oh man, what was his spiritual life like? How did that guy pray? I wonder what his inner life was like that God would say such a thing about him Well, dear friends, you don't have to wonder. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. God raised him up for the very purpose that he might be to us a model, an inspired model of devotion and faithfulness, especially in praise. And so uh, the Lord, by his Spirit, had him record prayers and psalms inspired by the Spirit. So time and time again, we read in the New Testament, as David said, by the Holy Spirit, or as the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David, things like that. So just think of it. God gave us David's most intimate expressions of his communion with God for us, for us to use. And where would we be if we weren't able to sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want? Solomon, the wisest of the men of old. You know, he instructed the people in Proverbs. You know, he also instructed them in Psalms. 
Well, we only know two for sure in the Psalter, but unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guard the city, the watchman stays in wake in vain. Psalm 127 or Psalm 72, one of my special favorites. Uh, Lord, give your judgments to the king. Moses, who knew God face to face. Asaph, the first and the greatest of all worship leaders, uh, and so forth. When you come to this book, as Al Martin put it so many years ago, and you're given a stethoscope, which you can pick up and you put the things in your ears and you put the round end of that stethoscope on the heart of the men whom God himself says are models of devotion, men after my own heart, inspired prophetic men. And we hear them at times caught up in exuberant praise, and sometimes they're quiet and reflective. Oftentimes they're in despair and filled with struggles in their own souls. And we can hear their heart beat. Have you ever read a Christian biography and said, well, I want to be a Christian like that? I see how so-and-so lived for God. I see the piety of the heart in that person. I want to imitate that. Well, these writers are true men inspired by the Spirit who teach who teach us specifically the inner life of the heart to God. Well, they teach us, and finally, point four, they admonish us. Admonishing isn't a word we use as often. You kids know what admonishing means. Um, it could often be translated warning uh, or sometimes charging. Um, that always have a, doesn't always have a negative cast to it. But when we come to the Psalms, we are confronted time and time again with two ways, with two paths. One path, the way of faith and following God's word. The other path, the way of unbelief and rebellion. One path leads to blessing in life. The other path to destruction and death. For example, we just sang both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 in the last couple of weeks, just so happened. The two Psalms that are set at the beginning as a kind of introduction to the whole Psalter, and that's their message. They have a very different focus. Psalm 1 speaks about the individual believer's walk with God and how blessed the man is who meditates on his word day and night. Psalm 2 focuses on the Lord's Messiah, who has made the ruler and the judge of the nation, uh, nations, plural. Um, and this kind of shows the broad scope of the book of Psalms. And in both cases, the application is very similar. We're taught to trust the Lord and put our hope in him in both, both Psalms. But in both cases, it also says, besides the teaching, it gives warning. It admonishes us. Psalm 1, the ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff. The wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. End of Psalm. Admonishing. Or Psalm 2, now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. You hear Washington? You hear Richmond? Kings, judges, kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all who put their trust in him. End of the psalm. Teaching and admonishing. Um, the psalms so often divide 
people into two categories, the righteous and the wicked, and describe the great struggle between them, a theme which is practically absent, even from hymns, but certainly from modern songs. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why psalms have all of a sudden lost their popularity. I mean, I think there's lots of reasons why they're unpopular, but I think one of the more important reasons is they admonish us. That is to say, these songs are not seeker-sensitive by any standard. They are not dumbed down. Uh, they, 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 they tell it like it is, with an honesty that modern writers shrink from. And once we understand that, that, that this is the way that songs ought to be, they, yes, they should teach us the word of Christ, and they should dwell in us richly with wisdom, and they should do all these other things, but, but they should also admonish us that these are psalms that teach that side of wisdom also, that they will train our hearts to fear the Lord where he needs to be feared. Then we will sing them, and we will like them. For if we like them, we will sing them. But we are commanded, indeed, to teach and admonish one another with them. That certainly means knowing them. And I don't just mean on Sunday singing them. It's not at all limited to Sunday. These psalms need to be part of your mind so they can be part of your life and conversation so that to one another you are able to teach and admonish one another. Our understanding of God is powerfully affected by the evil spirit of the age. And my hope is that as David's psalms are sung again, the evil spirit might at least depart from a time as it did from Saul when these songs were sung to him. In conclusion, John Chrysostom, that tremendous uh, Eastern father um, gaining, gaining more um, wisdom from is going up higher and higher in my estimation every, every day, practically. Near the uh, beginning of the 5th century, um, he wrote, All Christians employ themselves in David's Psalms more frequently than in any part of the Old or New Testament. Many who do not know a letter can say David's Psalms by heart. In private houses where virgins spin, in the deserts where men converse with God, the first, the middle, and the last is David. In the night, when men are asleep, he wakes them to sing, and collecting the servants of God into angelic troops, turns earth into heaven and makes of men angels, chanting David's psalms. And when the psalms have pressed you into their mold, you can weep over a city you can serve tirelessly, you can love sincerely, you can suffer patiently, and you can turn the world upside down. It was said of those in the past that psalm singing created a race of heroes, and may God make such heroes of us through his songs. Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone are able to order and to reorder our unruly wills and the affections of us sinful people. Grant to us that we may love the things that you command, desire the things that you promise, so that among all the changes of this fleeting world, our hearts may be surely fixed 
and we might know where true joys may forever be found.